Amen. Let's give the Lord another round of applause. Can we do that this morning? Good morning. Well, thank you so much for being here. Again, if you're a guest with us, I want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us. Those who are gathering with us online, we want to thank you as well. And excited for the weekend, excited for tonight. And so we invite you to come back, be a part of our Thanksgiving service tonight at 6 o'clock. And so we'll be having one service tonight, um, which we'll gather around the Lord's table. We'll have communion. And then we've got over 25 being baptized tonight. And so we're going to celebrate that tonight as well. Yep, absolutely. Got to get your mind and your heart right before your family arrives for Thanksgiving. So tonight, we're going to draw close to the Lord, right, and, and be lights uh, this week to our family. You know, it's a great time for us just to gather and reflect upon the goodness of God and celebrate what He's done. So we're excited for that. Excited today uh, for you guys to see Pastor Eric Hammond and his family. It just says, if you've been with us, you know, just a couple weeks ago, uh, we took the step in moving forward and uh, voting to bring he on as our next executive pastor. Well, he's here this weekend uh, with his family, his wife, Tammy. They've got three of their kids here, Reed, Jude, uh, and Maddie Grace. But I've asked him to come out and pray for us before the service, but also for you guys to meet his wife, Tammy. So give these guys a round of applause as they make their way out here. And at the end of the service, they're going to be out in, you know, the lobby. And so I would encourage you to come by, uh, you know, introduce yourself, meet them. Uh, we're excited for what the Lord, hi, Tammy, how are you? Excited for what the Lord has in store in the days to come. So Eric, man, just share a little bit if you would. Hey. They told me last time to do this when I talk, so I'll try to keep it so everybody can hear. So I told you I was married. Last time I came, I said I had a wife and she is here. <laughs> Uh, Tammy, and then I have three sitting up there, hopefully get a chance uh, to meet them. Uh, still have one who is not here in Texas with his wife, and so hopefully one day you'll get a chance to meet him. Well, I look forward to seeing as many people as possible. We'll be in the back hanging out for a little bit. If you want to stop by and say hi, please don't hold me too much remembering everybody's name until we get going a little bit. But I just want to open us up in a word of prayer. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for who you are and what you mean to us and every person in this room, Lord, as we come into the season of Thanksgiving, Lord, as we think of all the wonderful things you have done for us, Lord, we want to lift up this church. We want to lift up this family, every person in this room, every family that's represented here, Lord, and we just pray that this is a place where your word is preached, where your truth is proclaimed. And I just ask right now that you are with us, that you are blessing this time together as Heath brings the word, brings your word, Lord, that we receive it and take it aboard and use it as we go out the rest of this week, Lord. We pray that you guide us and keep us in all that we do. And we pray all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Give them another round of applause if you would. Thank you, guys. Take your Bibles with me, if you would, this morning, and turn with me to the book of First Kings, First Kings chapter 18. If you were with us last week, we were in uh, chapter 17 as we're looking at uh, the story of Elijah. If you've been with us, we've been in this Old Testament series of Old Testament faith. As we've been going back, I went back and I looked, we began this at the beginning of July. So July 3rd was the first Sunday uh, that we kind of began to walk through Hebrews 11, God's Hall of Faith, and began to look at, you know, some of these characters, some of these studies uh, through the Old Testament of faith. The Ephesians 2.8 says what? For by grace you have been saved through 
faith. So we know it's God's grace first, God's mercy first, right? It's Jesus first. And then we respond by faith. We know that we can't know the Lord apart from faith. It's not our religious activity. It's not even the ordinances as we're going to see tonight with baptism. It's a heart that surrenders and professes Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so it's always been faith. And we've seen that through these stories, that we enter into this relationship by faith, but that we grow by faith. And Hebrews 11.1 1 has been the verse that we've been looking at throughout this series. And it says what? That faith is the assurance, faith is the confidence, that this is not wishful thinking, this is putting trust in something that has been promised in his words. Of Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the things unseen. And we go down to verse 6 and it says what? Without faith, and we've looked at this every Sunday, it is impossible to please God. That we must believe that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says we will do. And if you look at these stories, every one of these situations, you find the character in that place where they've got to display faith. They've got to either choose to, to, to you know, allow their feelings or their emotions to be what leads them or by faith trust in what they can't see. And we can all identify with this, right? We can relate to this. And, and my encouragement has been with all of these stories is we know the end of the story, but try to put yourself in the shoes of these individuals in the moment where the faith is being required. And I pray you're encouraged through this story. I know I have been uh, just really challenged through these studies, you know, to see the faith that God says put up front first and then watch what I will do as you display faith. So last week we did a little bit of a catch up uh, just to kind of let you know where we are. First Kings, uh, obviously the title of the book tells us that it's a description of all the kings. We know that this is the time when the two kingdoms have been split. This is after David, you have Solomon. Solomon started out really well, but you get to about chapter nine after the temple is built. And it starts going sideways. He begins to do all the things that he was warned not to do, of marrying outside of the nation, of, of, of you know, idol worship coming into the land of God's people. So it all started to go sideways. He got really political, began to marry all these different wives from other nations and did exactly what he was warned not to do. If you remember, the author of Kings gives us the criteria. Okay, did these kings, number one, uphold the law? Did they deal with idolatry? Did they keep the covenant? And we talked about this last week. Of the 20 kings in the north, zero met the standard. Of the 20 kings in the south, only eight met the standard. And what we find is a very dark time, right? And I pray you've seen that with these stories, that so many times God does his greatest work in the midst of darkness. And I pray you're encouraged by that because every one of these stories you see that where there's either a tragedy or there's a storm or there's something that is life altering that requires them to put trust and faith in what they can't see. We know that Elijah, as we saw last week, is dealing with idolatry. We know that it's dealing with idolatry, that idolatry has entered into the land. God's people is calling upon dead gods to give them things that only God can give. And so I'm gonna ask you to take your Bibles and stand with me in reverence to reading God's word. The title of the message this morning, as it was last week, dependent. We'll do a little bit of a catch up in just a moment, but let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18. And let's just look at verse 21. And they're gonna look at the challenge that Elijah lays before the people before this great miracle takes place. One of the great miracles of the Old Testament, fire coming from heaven. And I believe it happened. If you believe it, say amen, amen. This is a true story. And so I want you again to be captivated by what's really happening in the details of this account. But look at the challenge that Elijah lays before the people in verse 21. First Kings chapter 18. Let's look at verse 21, but we'll really cover the whole chapter this morning. Do you believe we can do it? 
<laughs> Here we go. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? Your translation may say, how long will you limp between these two opinions? And look at what he says. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the promises that you've given us in your word. Lord, we thank you that we can be dependent upon you. And that as we've walked through this series, yes, we've seen the faith of your people, but Lord, we've seen your faithfulness to us in spite of us. And so we thank you for your grace and your mercy that is renewed each and every day. We know that before we could even demonstrate faith that you've got to display grace. And we see that in the greatest way as we celebrate Jesus, our savior. We thank you that the greatest promise has been fulfilled, that we're on the other side of that promise of a savior who took our place upon a cross and won the victory over our sins. We can be thankful every day for the promise of who we are in you, Lord. So we thank you that you are a God that keeps his promises. Lord, may you lead us today, deepen us as we see in the journey of Elijah, Lord, deepen us. And may there be a ripple effect in the lives of those in our lives as we see in his life as well. May the name of Jesus be lifted high. We pray it, we ask in his name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We talked about this last week, right? If you go to 1 Kings chapter 16, it really paints the scene. The last couple verses there, verse 32 and 33, talks about the wickedness of Ahab. It says in verse 32 of 1 Kings 16, Then he, Ahab, set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria, verse 33, and Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. As we saw last week, you come to chapter 17, verse 1, and now all of a sudden this man arrives on the scene. There's really not much backstory to Elijah. Uh, we're told where he's from, but we're not really told any history of, of where he came from or, or, or what's happening in his life at this time. All we know is that God calls this man to deal with idolatry in the land and the courage and the boldness and the confidence of Elijah is something we recognize right away. He has spoken of more than any other prophet in the New Testament. Over 30 times we see references to Elijah in the New Testament. We know in Matthew 17, we see him on the mountain transfiguration where you have Moses that represents the law. You have uh, 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 Elijah, I, bro I did that at the eight o'clock this morning. Well, I, I forgot the name of the guy I'm preaching on. You have Elijah <laughs> representing the prophets, and then you have Jesus there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so as we go back, I want you to see just a little bit of a catch up that allows us to set the scene for this morning in chapter 18. Go back to verse one of chapter 17. He confronts the king. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be due nor reign these years except by my word. Now, again, we know the issue here is idolatry. They're looking to Baal to meet their needs, right? The, the God of the sun or the God of thunder, or the, the God of fertility, right? That, that he will provide a harvest. And so here's Elijah stepping in going, man, you're calling upon the wrong God, that this is an idol. And what we see so many times is this, I'm gonna be real with you. We talked about it last week, that sometimes the Lord will allow us to seek those idols, those little things to bring us to a point where we recognize this can't do for me what only he can do for me. And so you see that this is the place where God addresses this. The issue is rain. And it's the place where the idol is identified and addressed and attacked 
by this prophet of God. Look at what it says here in verse two. He goes to before the king. He says, it will not rain itself by the word of the Lord. Then the word came to the Lord saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide. Now notice that what we're gonna see in the life of Elijah, there's a lot of twists and turns. We talked about this last week. As James says, he was a man like nature, like ours. There's faithfulness in life, Elijah, but you see him with fear. You see him with boldness. And then you see him with discouragement. We're gonna see this morning in chapter 18, one of the great miracles of the Old Testament where fire literally comes from the sky. And then just one chapter later, just one chapter later in chapter 19, he's begging for God to take his life. And so we know that there's a lot of twists and turns to the life of this man by the name of Elijah. We saw this last week of how God kept meeting his needs. First, he met his need there in verse two and three by this brook. Then he met his need by the ravens, it says in verse four, but then it says the brook dried up and don't miss this. Then the word of the Lord came. Don't miss verse seven and eight. And then we'll kind of continue. It says this. And it happened after a while, if you were here last week, we looked at this, that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then don't miss this. The word of the Lord came to him. What we find in so many of these situations, right, that it's in the backdrop of darkness, it's in the backdrop of a tragedy or a storm or a struggle, or here we find where the provisions of God has dried up. Have you ever been there? Where a provision of God has all of a sudden dried up and you're now at a new crisis of faith. That what you've had meeting your needs is no longer there anymore. So now the Lord is saying, okay, I've met your needs through this. Now can you trust me to continue to meet your needs in another place? The brook dried up and he sends him to a place that makes no sense at all. Verse nine, chapter 17, arise, go to Zarephath. We know that this is basically the area of Baal, the home of Baal, that sometimes God leads us to do things that make no sense at all. But he was going to the place that was the source to identify the idol. Go to verse 18 if you would, or chapter 18 if you would, and let's look at what happens here. Three years have now passed. He challenges the people in just a minute as we get to verse 21 about no more limping, no more limping. This has meant a lot to me because I've been limping a little bit over the past year. And I remember my doctor just a couple months ago telling me, you're not allowed to limp no more. I'm like, what do you mean? Like that there's a rule, like I'm gonna get in trouble. He's like, no, no, no. your limping is showing that you're, you're not confident upon that as the source of where you can put your strength. And so you're relying upon, you're hesitant to trust. Kind of reminds me of a story. The pirate who walks with a cane, you know, what's the reason for his limp? Do you know? Arthritis. Then, <laughs> like some of you are just like looking at me mean right now. I'll make up for it. He goes, the dog limped into a tavern, right? The dog limped into a tavern and he looked up and he said, I'm looking for the man who shot my paw. You about finished it right there, yeah. <laughs> no more limping. What is he saying? Man, we got to stop going back and forth. You either trust God or you don't. And let's be real, right? We can identify with this, that sometimes on a Sunday morning, it's easy to throw our hands up and say, God, I trust you. I trust you. And then Monday comes. Like we're quick, right, with God's people, right, again, we, as we should corporately, right, we should be worshiping in spirit and truth, proclaiming the promises of God. But when the rubber meets the road on a Monday, do we turn to some other type of source? He stands before the people and he says, man, y'all got to choose. No more of this going back and forth, right? This lines up with what Jesus says, be in the world, but not of the world that we should stand out, right? That our life should look different, right? That our, our speech should look different, our actions should look different, that we should be light in darkness. 
He says, man, no more wavering back and forth. And I wonder, man, there may be some here today that you've just gone back and forth, back and forth, and the Lord's just finally saying, man, no more limping. Trust fully in the place that will not let you down. And I don't know about you, but I see it in the same story. I see it in my own life. God has a way of attacking idols in our lives. And I think sometimes I know he has with me, he's allowed me to walk a path to get to a point where he lets me see for myself that, hey, this can't do for you what you're seeking for it to do. You were designed for something more. You were designed for a relationship with me. And the bottom line is this, we're all worshiping something because God created us as worshipers. What are we worshiping? Where's our dependence go back to? And so notice what happens here, three years, verse one. And it came to pass, chapter 18, that after many days that the word of Jehovah came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Again, let me say, so many times when you're reading scripture and studying scripture, you see time periods pass that maybe you don't necessarily pick up on. Like we kind of read it and we read it and read it. It's like, okay, well, this is the next day and this is the next week. This is a, three years Three years he has been on the run, right? Three years God told him to go hide. And this is interesting because now God's saying, go reveal yourself. You go back to one chapter over in verse three, he says, go hide. But now three years later, he says, uh, I ain't asking you to hide no more. We're done with the private boot camp. Now I'm telling you to go forward, to publicly profess what I've done privately behind the scenes. And I love this. Go show thyself unto Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Again, a lot of faith required in every one of these situations, but waiting time, let me say it again, is never wasted time. Three years that God was preparing this man's heart behind the scenes. There may be some of you here this morning that you're on your third year, I don't know, maybe you're on your fifth, maybe you're on your 10th. Let me say to you, please wait upon the Lord. God's timing is perfect. He's never early, he's never late. Can I get an amen, amen? In due time, we see that all through scripture, we can rest in the sovereignty of God. And I believe one of the things that I hang my hat upon in the sovereignty of God is the timing of God. Three years have gone by. Now he says, all right, it's time to move forward. This time, it's time to have this showdown. Look at what happens in verse two. We now see another character that's affected by the faith of this man. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab and the famine was sore, strong, severe is what that word means in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared Jehovah greatly, for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of Jehovah that Obadiah took a hundred prophets, hid them by 50 in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, go through the land and to all the fountains of water and to all the brooks, pre-adventure we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself, Obadiah went another way by himself. So this shows the severity of the drought of the famine, three and a half years without rain. You can imagine the landscape, right? I mean, picture this, right? We're talking, there's probably carcasses everywhere, you know, skeletons, everywhere. three and a half years without rain. Like think about the death that would come, not just to livestock, but to people, three and a half years without rain to water their crops to the point that this king goes out himself. I mean, that shows the severity of the drought really in many ways where he says, okay, Obadiah, you're gonna go that way. I'm gonna go that way. I'm not just gonna stay back in here. We're gonna go try to find some land, some animals that has not been affected by this famine. Another test in the journey. I want you to see this. 
that throughout the story of Elijah, you keep seeing these individuals, right? In the last chapter, it was the widow. In the last chapter, it was the ripple effect of the faith of Elijah that now impacts this widow that Jesus speaks about in the New Testament, that, that put her in a position to be able to know God, see God, but it required faith. And all she had in the last chapter was the word from the Lord, a word from the prophet. Now we find a very similar situation. Here's Obadiah over the household of this king. And he recognizes, right, that, hey, if I go back to this king and I tell him that we found the guy that he's been looking for, because Elijah, he's been looking for you for three and a half years because he basically has blamed this whole situation upon you. And we're going to see that in a minute. But I know what's going to happen, Obadiah says, I'm going to go back to the king and say, hey, Elijah's over here. And then the spirit of God is going to lead you to safety. And so when we come back and we don't find you, I will be put to death. That's the fear of Obadiah. And notice, again, he gets put in a position where he has to display faith. Where now we see Elijah say, no, I'm not going to go anywhere. You go get your boy. I'm waiting for him. That's the way I see it in my head. I'm sorry. Like, go get your boy. I'm going to be right here. I ain't running no more. It's time to throw down. And you see the promise he gives him in verse 14. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah here, Obadiah says he will kill me. But then Elijah gives him this promise in verse 15. As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. Faith, just like in the widow, right? I mean, here she is preparing their last meal. She doesn't have enough food for another meal. And he says, hey, Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Watch how God will meet your needs if you put him first. She displayed faith and you see the miracle where the flour never runs out, the oil never runs out, that leads to the miracle of the resurrection of her son, faith. Now it's this man Obadiah, what's required faith? Because now he recognizes that, man, if I bring the king back here and Elijah is nowhere to be found, I myself will be put to death. And so you see two demonstrations of faith where the life was on the line. The widow and her son physically, their life was on the line. Obadiah, his life is on the line. And you see faith. But now it's about time to throw down. Look at verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened. Can you play dun, dun, dun? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I just see like these two dudes walking up over the hill. I can just see this picture. When Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And notice what Elijah says. I know you are, but what am I? It's what he says in verse 18. (laughs) I've not troubled Israel, but it's you, bro. It's your father's house. And that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the bales. Listen, there's no pleasantries here. There's no, oh, king, oh, king, live forever. It is, hey, bro, it ain't my fault, it's yours. You're the one that's allowed idolatry to enter back into this land. All of this is the judgment of God. He says in verse 18, I've not troubled Israel, but you, your father. Verse 19, now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. It's about to go down, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So he says, all right, bro, you go get yours, I'll go get mine. We're going to put these gods to the test. My God, uppercase G, your God's lowercase G. And we're going to go to the place that we're asking him to meet our needs for, right? What are we asking? We're asking for rain, right? You're going to pray to an idol for rain. I'm going to pray to God for rain. Let's see which one comes through. Here's the challenge that God, he lays before the people. Verse 20 again. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Picture this, 850 of them. And there's Elijah. 
And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you limp? How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if, if Baal, then follow him, but no longer on the fence. But the people answered him, not a word. They weren't ready to give a response. Their hearts had not truly been turned back to God. This was getting ready to happen through this miraculous event. Notice this. First things first, the rules need to be established, right? In any competition, before we even start throwing down, let's just set the stage, right? If it's make it, take it, let me know. Don't be changing the rules in the middle of the game. So let's set the rules up front. Now, what I find interesting in this is the Bible doesn't say that he just came up with this on his own. Now, it doesn't say that God pulled him aside and said, okay, Elijah, this is exactly what I want you to do. But here is a man who has been hearing the voice of God. I mean, let's not miss that, right? He's close to walking with God. When he's been told to go hide, he goes hide. When he's been told to be revealed, he goes and revealed. So he is sensitive to the voice of God. So I don't believe that this was just something he came up on his own to say, hey, this might, you know, raise my name a little bit through this. I don't believe that at all. Look at what happens here in verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone and left the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls, let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, lowercase g, and I will call on the name of the Lord. I love that. You call on your little God, I'm gonna call on the God. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bowl for yourselves, prepare it first for you are many and call in the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So he basically said, I'll take the kickoff in the second half. You get the ball first. Is basically, he deferred the kickoff is what he did. Won the coin flip, but said, you're gonna go first because I'm gonna see and then I'm gonna come behind. Stage is set. Look at what happens here in verse 26. When you can talk trash and bring glory to God, those are the verses I wanna focus on. Here it is, here it is. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice because idols do not respond. Can I get an amen? No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon, and Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud, for he is God, lowercase g. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you're not talking loud enough. Then he says, maybe he's meditating. Then he says, maybe he is busy. Now, when you break down that Hebrew word, it literally means maybe he's going number two. That's what it means there in the Hebrew language. And I don't think that's a stretch to you know, the inerrancy of God's word. That's what I read. And I can argue that. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's sleeping. Do you see what he's doing? He's claiming his own attributes of, of the God that he serves, right? He is saying, maybe God doesn't hear you because guess what? My God hears me. Can I get an amen? Maybe he don't see you. Like maybe, maybe he's got something else going on. Guess what? God always sees me. He knows the number of hairs that are upon my head. He always sees me. Maybe he's you know, dealing in someone else's life. No, God always is sensitive to those who call upon his name. And so he's countering this idol that, hey, in all the ways that he's failed without necessarily saying it, he's saying, my God proves himself in all of these places. Look at what he does. So they crowd aloud and cut themselves and it was their custom with knives and lances. Now again, you gotta understand the evil of this. 
Right, we're talking about there was prostitute, temple prostitution that went to praising the God. There were uh, children's sacrifices that were parents would literally ch- sacrifice their children to bring glory to these false gods. So let's understand the depth of the evil. It wasn't just that God is a jealous God, he doesn't want them worship. Yeah, that's true. Man, there's a depth of evil here. He says, maybe sleep. And so they cried aloud, cut themselves, which was their custom. Blood gushed out on them, verse 29. And when midday was past, this is now past three o'clock. So they've been at this for about eight to nine hours. They prophesied until the time of the offering of the human sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. It's God's turn. Y'all ready? Ding, ding. Here we go. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Don't miss that. When does idolatry enter into the scene when our worship is wrong? When we're worshiping the wrong things, that's idolatry, right? When we're allowing something to be in our lives that should take a place in our lives where only God should be, it's idolatry. So the first thing he does is he addresses the altar. What's the altar? It's where they worship. It's where they're sacrificed for sin. So where they went wrong is where Elijah brings them back to that, hey, it's not just that we've made some bad decisions and we're following a pagan God. No, our worship is off. We are looking for a false God to do things that only the God of Israel has promised to do. We get our worship right, we're gonna get back right. He addresses the altar first. And look at what happens. And Elijah took 12 stones, which I think again is a testimony, right? This this kingdom had been split at this time. You've got 10 to the, to the north, two to the south, but he speaks of the unity of the 12 tribes. He takes the 12 stones. And according to the numbers of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood and said, hey, let's up the ante, fill four water pots with water pour it on the burnt offering upon the wood. Then he said, let's not just do that one time, do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, okay, let's not do it two times. Let's do it three times. And as a matter of fact, let's build a trench around this bad boy. Let's fill it up with water because when God shows up, I don't want there to be any question in who did this miracle. Let me tell you something, when that's the motivation of your heart, what's the motivation of Elijah? It's not to bring Elijah glory. It's not to raise Elijah's name. He's trying to raise the name of God. He's trying to raise God's name so that the hearts of God's people will turn back to him. Understand something, when that is your agenda and motivation, God will show up in miraculous ways because now you're on the same page and wanting to accomplish the same thing. God's glory, may hearts be turned to you as a result. And when you can pray that about your struggle, when you can wake up on a Monday morning and not turn to your false gods and say, God, in my confusion and questions and and fear, I still praise you and worship you and, and seek you and I trust you. And Lord, I put this before you in a way that you may be glorified. Man, there's power in that. Total dependence. Notice the position he is in there and the ships have sailed. Look at this, verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, notice this prayer, probably 30 seconds in its entirety. Let it be known this day, hear his motivation that you are God in Israel 
and that I am your servant, and that I've done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, that you have, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And then here's the miracle, verse 38. Picture this scene. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. Not just the burnt sacrifice, but in the wood, in the stones, in the dust, it consumed it all. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And what a testimony for this man to be able to say, guys, there's no human explanation for this. God did this. And I love when that happens in our lives and in the life of our church. When we can't even put words into, man, God did this and I don't even really know how to explain it to you. But he did it in a way that, that just would blow your mind, right? That his ways are above our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, that he does things in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend. And you see it in story after story after story. But the heart of these individuals, yes, it was faith, but it was God's glory. God, you be glorified in this. It wasn't just God rescue me. It wasn't just God save me from the lions. It wasn't just God save me from the fiery furnace. It was God, you be glorified in the midst of this storm in my life in a way that you couldn't be otherwise. May this struggle not be wasted. May I not just turn to my lowercase gods trying to find them to do things that only you have promised to do in my heart and life. Here's the promise fulfilled. He told them three and a half years ago, Look at verse 40, and Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. So they seized him, Elijah brought them down to the brook and executed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink for there's the sound of the abundance of rain. So Ahab went to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and then he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and he looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Verse 44, then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind. And the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, he girded up his loins and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. The rain did not come a day before God preordained for it to come. It wasn't random and it wasn't a coincidence. In the sovereignty of God, there was a specific moment when that storm or that drought would end and his provisions would flow again. But so many times in the story, there were places of either I display faith or I run to my own stuff. And what you find in story after story after story, the confidence of things hoped for, the assurance of things hoped for, the God, I don't know how, I don't know when, but if you're the God of this universe and the God of this book, I trust in you, I believe in you, I will wait on you and may you find me seeking you in my questions, in my doubts. And when you do it, I will be quick to say, look at what God has done. There is no human explanation. God does above all things that we can ask or think. 
the dependence of Elijah was a process of deepening. In every one of these circumstances, there was a process of deepening. That God was writing a story in this man's life. And we know just one chapter later, man, he's dealing with discouragement in chapter 19. And that's a great warning, I think, for all of us. I've seen that in my own life. And there's some great spiritual victory in my life, man. I better be on guard because the enemy is quick to try to counter the work that God is doing. And so we see even here that right just the next chapter, he's dealing with complete discouragement. Yet his dependence went deeper and deeper and deeper. Think about the ripple effect, the widow that comes to know God, Obadiah, King Ahab. You do realize you wanna see the grace of God. This king eventually turns from wickedness and turns to God. And I believe the faith of Elijah had so much to do with that. Last week we used the title Jehovah Jireh. The Lord my provider. And the first time we see that word is in Genesis 22. To me, it's one of the hardest chapters in the Old Testament. God has fulfilled the promise of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, you know the story. You wanna talk about faith, faith that I don't have, I'm just gonna be real with you on this stage, where he calls Abraham to do the unthinkable, the unimaginable, to sacrifice his own son, the son of promise. As you go through Genesis 23, you see this picture, right, of them walking and Isaac's kind of confused. And he looks to his dad and he says, dad, I get that we're going to make a sacrifice, but where's the animal? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham turns and said, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. You know the story, there's a ram, right, caught in the thicket, right? God provides this sacrifice, but before that even happens, you wanna see the faith of Abraham as he looks to his servants, he says, the boy and I are going over here. The boy and I are going to worship. It's a reference that we're going over here. I'm going over here to be obedient to what God's calling me to do. And then he says this, we're going over there, but then we will come back. His faith was that even if God calls me to do the unimaginable, my faith is so deep that he has the power to even raise this child from the grave. We're coming back whether God leads me to do this or not. We will come back to you because I serve a God of faithfulness. It's a picture of Jesus. That ram caught in the thicket. But the lamb of God is what we celebrate. Came and did what none of us could do live a life that he would meet every requirement of a holy God. And the Bible says, like a lamb led to the slaughter, he said no words. And God provided for our greatest need, a need for forgiveness and the covering of my sins. And I pray as you go through this week and as you reflect upon what God's done, but what God is doing in your life, Waiting time is never wasted. God works behind the scenes in ways that we can't see and there's a ripple effect to our faith in the lives that are before us. But hear these words in Romans 8. I pray you hear these words, if nothing else. Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say to these things? Hey, if God is for us, let's make it personal. If God is for me, then who can be, say it with me, 
Now think about this logical thinking as Paul says in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not now with him also freely give us all things? What is Paul saying? If God gave us what was most precious, his son, would he not meet my needs today? Uh, If I gave you my son, which I'm not, I wouldn't, I love you, but not that much. Would I not feed you as well? I gave you what was most precious. Would I not meet your needs on a daily basis as well? (coughs) Jehovah Jireh, I pray. Maybe you're in a place where God has stripped down some false things in your life that you used to have dependence upon. And he's revealed it for what it is, a false, fake substitute of only what he can do in your heart and in your life. There we have bowed and reacted. Every one of these stories, I love it, just points and we see the picture of Jesus. The first resurrection of the Old Testament, this widow's son. This prophet of God got to see firsthand what the father would do in the years to come with his own son. He got to see a picture of it right there. There's hope. And his name is Jesus. And so let me just say again, this whole series has been on faith. All of it comes back to not random faith, but specific faith, not in a religion, in a person. The Lamb of God, this Jesus, came and lived and died and rose again. And the Bible says, for those who turn from their sins and call upon his name, they shall be saved. By grace, we are saved through faith. If you're here today and you've never professed faith in Christ, listen, that's the place where God is calling to you first. I believe that in the authority of God's word. That's only something between you and the Lord, audience of one. To believers in this place, again, as you see these stories, maybe you see your own self. Maybe the brook is dried up. And you're waiting on that next word of the Lord, hold on. Waiting time is not wasted time. There's a work he's doing through every single detail of our lives. I wonder had Elijah given up at three years or three years and three months and four months and he he would miss what God was gonna do through his life. I invite you to stand right where you are. We're gonna go to the Lord in prayer as we do each week, man. Invitation continues. We've got our spiritual response team to my left, to your right, down here. Throughout the week, let me just say again, as pastors, as staff, as leaders, man, again, this is the journey we're on together. And it's faith every day, right? And I think the message of this story is like, we've got to be careful to not be quick to worship and praise God on a Sunday and allow the things of this world to drive us on a Monday. May the name of Jesus be lifted high. Join with me as we pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for a Savior. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy that now allows us through faith to know you and to walk according to your promises that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that we are sealed by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you have indwelled us, that you go before us in all things, that we can trust in you even in the chaos of our lives, we hold that you are sovereign over it all. And so Lord, as 
we are becoming more and more dependent upon you deepen us in our walk to hold loosely to things of this world that will eventually pass away and to live for the eternal, to live for the eternal, for the glory of the God who has accomplished all this in our lives. We thank you. May you be praised. Go before us, bring us back tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you tonight.